Thanks for joining us for this edition of NAESP's Advocacy Podcast. Uh, in this episode, uh, Hetty Chang, uh, who uh, directs Attendance Works, which is a national and state level initiative aimed at advancing student success by addressing chronic absence, is our guest. Hetty, welcome. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Good, good. Thanks for thanks for being on. Uh, well, let's uh, let's jump right in. Uh, first things first. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Attendance Works. Uh, what is it, and wh- what do you all focus on? We are a national nonprofit aimed at helping to equip every school, every district, to notice when they're having a challenge with chronic absence, either for an individual student or for their school as a whole, and making sure that we have the tools, the practices, the policies so that we can take action, prevention, oriented action and early intervention so we can make sure that kids are in school so they can learn every day and we're doing that before absences add up to so much time of lost instruction that kids are falling behind academically and require much more expensive remediation. Got it. Got it. Thanks. I think um, when folks hear sort of chronic absence, I I think um, especially principals who um, are are listening obviously have a, a good idea uh, of what that is, but just make sure that just to kind of level set um, so so we're all on the same page. When we say chronic absence, uh, what does that mean? Broadly defined, chronic absence is missing so much school for any reason, including not just unexcused absences, which is truancy, but unexcused absences, excused absences, and suspensions. Missing so much time for any of those reasons that a child is at risk academically. If we think that instruction matters and the learning experience in the classroom matters, then it matters if kids aren't there. And what Attendance Works has recommended as a definition is you think about that as missing 10% of the school year. That's just two days a month. We recommend a 10% because just, um, it allows you to really do an early warning approach. Um, 10% of 180 day school year is 18 days. You don't want to wait till day 17 to take action or day 18 to take action. You want to look at two days in the first month of school, four days in the next month of school, six days in the third month of school. And that's why that 10% metric is so important because it creates that incentive for early identification. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, on that question of, of kind of 10% or 18 days, um, there, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is not a, a national sort of a definition. Is, is that right? And that's just the... Yeah, we, um, you know, this country believes in democracy around education definitions for everything. <laughs> so, for example, um, typically what we had historically tracked was truancy, um, which is typically only referring to unexcused absences, but we allowed every single state and um, sometimes states allow districts to define what truancy is. In California, truancy is missing just three days um, anytime during the school year or three times late to class by 30 minutes. In Maryland, truancy is missing uh, 20% of the school year due to unexcused absences. So historically, we have allowed for huge variation on definitions related to attendance. Now, with chronic absence, we had been working with many districts and states prior to um, the, or even prior to ESSA and then 
the Every Student Succeeds Act, and then the passage as well. So we had been helping to educate many, many people about why a 10% definition might make sense. So 27 out of the 36 states plus Washington, D.C., um, who adopted chronic absence as some kind of accountability metric for schools have defined it as missing 10% or more of schools uh, of the school year. But there are other definitions, 15 days. 15 days is actually what the Office for Civil Rights, which recently has been collecting data, has been using. Um, there's a couple of variations on that definition. But the vast majority of states are using this 10% metric at this point. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's, that's really helpful. Uh, well, so that's the, the what. That's the sort of what is chronic absence. Uh, now let's talk about the, the why. So why does, why, does, why does it matter? What is the impact of chronic early absence on academic outcomes? Yeah, and I'm actually going to stick for uh, the impact also for just a moment, connecting back to the issue of what is it. I just want to make sure people understand that what chronic absence is, is not truancy, which is just unexcused absences, and it's not average daily attendance, which average daily attendance tells you how many kids show up every day on average to a school, and chronic absence tells you how many and which kids have missed so much school they're academically at risk. Both just looking at truancy, which is what we've traditionally done in this country, and average daily attendance can mask large numbers of kids who are chronically absent. And average daily attendance is actually a relatively difficult to move metric. You can, but it also doesn't help you understand the impact on academics. And why chronic absence is so important to look at is because now we have a plethora of research that shows when kids start to miss too much school. And 10%, it's um, more like this is a um, a, 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 a line that um, over each absences, each time a kid is absent actually um, increases the impact of the adverse impact on uh, a child's academic performance. Um, but if you look at that 10%, that's where you're sure there's really an adverse impact. But it's not like a kid misses 17 days and all of a sudden at 18 days, you know, they're going from an A to a, a, an F. It's, you want to be noticing this all along. Now, what I will say is that chronic absence, starting even in pre-K and K, if you're chronically absent in pre-K and K, it predicts lower levels of reading proficiency. Chronic absence in a high-quality pre-K actually can predict lower levels of school readiness on multiple fronts, social-emotional development, numeracy. Um, all of the kind of traditional measures of school readiness are affected when chronic kids in high-quality pre-K are chronically absent. Mm -hmm. By the time you're in third grade, if you were chronically absent, in kindergarten and first grade, your likelihood of reading proficiently at the end of their in third grade is very um, low, even if your third grade attendance is better. Mm. Because if you are chronically absent in kindergarten and first, you miss so much instruction, you can show up to third grade, but you can't track what's going on in the classroom. You can't make that shift so that you can read your math problems you can do your social studies homework. So there is actually data from uh, Rhode Island that showed chronic absence in kindergarten predict, predicted lower first grade reading proficiency. And by the end of fifth grade, it was predicting 
lower academic performance, and the gap was growing. And chronic absence in K, because they had a cohort of kids, predicted higher retention and higher suspension in middle school. Mm. Wow. wow. Now, the impact is greatest for, especially in the young, um, among our young children, the impact is greatest for the kids living in poverty, our most vulnerable kids. Those are kids who are two or three um, times more likely to be chronically absent because they face um, the challenges of poverty, you know, poor health, unstable housing, lack of transportation. They are also the kids for whom um, chronic absence has the most adverse impact. Um, there's a stud by, study by Doug Reddy um, from Columbia who had shown that uh, chronic absence had a 75% greater impact on low-income kids than um, more middle-class peers because their families can't make up for the lost time on task, especially, let's say, if you're talking with a uh, family whose parents themselves are not literate. Maybe that's why they don't have a very great job, and they can't make up for that time lost learning in a language-rich environment. Um, and so preschool or school is where kids are depending to get that language-rich environment. By middle and high school, the impact of chronic absence is on middle and um, upper income kids too, because all of us depend on school and instruction, for example, to get our kids through, um, you know, geometry, um, trigonometry, uh, chemistry, all of those scaffolded subjects. All of us families depend on school much more to get our kids uh, to be able to um, learn. And so the other thing I would just say is that you wanna build a habit of excellent attendance while kids are young, because by the time they're in middle and high school, they have to have developed that habit because that's what's gonna help them pass their middle school courses, help them graduate from high school. And so it is important for kids of all economic backgrounds to develop that habit. But the impact on learning is most significant for low-income kids. And I don't know if you've seen this statistic, but only one out of five low-income kids in this country is reading proficiently by the end of third grade. And I truly believe that chronic absence is one of the factors that's contributing to that devastating statistic. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. I want to, um, I just want to, just the, the, the point you brought up about the sort of early, I don't know, triggers or sort of the, the kind of, you know, early on in, in a student's career, if they're, um, if they're missing school at an early age. So two things, one, I, I, what I hear you saying is one, it's a, it's an issue of, 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 of habit, right? It's just this, this notion that if it's happening early on and, and sort of how um, a student and a family is sort of approaching school, um, in, in, in sort of some sense, it's, it's hard to break, break that habit. Number one, number two, it's also just an, an, an issue of those, those days add up, right? So if that happens in, in pre-K, as you mentioned, and then it happens in, in K and then in one, um, you add up, um, significant amounts of, of school, um, that that child is not attending. Um, that's, that's significant. Um, so that's, that's really important. And the, the other thing I just want to say on that is, from a from a public policy standpoint, in terms of thinking about addressing um, this challenge, um, that has to be pretty salient in in, in terms of thinking about um, how how you sort of go about in um, addressing this challenge. 
Absolutely. So you know one thing it's helpful to think about, though? Kids go to school when kids and families have three things. They have hope, faith, and capacity. Hope that they've got a better, brighter future. Faith that the preschooler school that they're going to is going to get them to that future. And then capacity. Those are those routines, the resources, you know, whether it's transportation or health, the, um, the skills, the parenting skills. You know, some of this in the early grade, in the early ages is about your ability as a parent to, um, you know, move your child through separation, transition to a different activity, um, you know, handle separation. Um, and what I think we want to understand is that one of the best um, strategies for engaging young children and their families and getting them to show up regularly is family engagement. When families understand, families, one, feel hope for their future, and they understand how much going to school regularly is really building those skills for their child to have often even a better future than they can, when they understand what kids are learning in preschool and kindergarten and first, they're more likely to be motivated to get kids to school. When they believe that their school cares about them and believes in them and is really about the best interest of their kids, they're more motivated to also develop, to, to seek out resources, supports, um, to make sure their kids get to school every day. So one of the differences between um, chronic absence and truancy is truancy has all been about compliance. Mm -hmm. State compulsory ed says you should be in school by age five or age six or age seven or wherever it begins in your state. And if you don't show up, I'm going to threaten you with court because you're not complying. When I think it's kind of like voting. Mm -hmm. You want everyone to vote, but you want them to know why they're voting. Because if they vote and they know why, they'll pay attention to what they're doing in the voting booth. I, I will say that because today is election day. So it go. feels like an appropriate <laughs> metaphor. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's the same thing about kids going to school. We want families to want their kids to be in school so they can acquire a better future and understand how going to school every day. And so there's actually a lot of evidence that um, this is particularly from Chicago, that when um, families understood what their kids were learning that day. Not that this is just a habit for the future. It's that what they were learning and how it was meaningful to their kids' development, they were more likely to get their kids to school, even when conditions are tougher, right? These were all low-income kids um, in, uh, in uh, the Chicago study. Um, when schools create a warm, inclusive, engaging environment, families are more likely to show up to school. So, when you see chronic absence, I think the response isn't, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you showing up to school? The response is, what do we need to do to engage that child and family? How, what do they not know about how our school is really there for the best interest of our kids? What do we need to do to create a warm, welcoming environment? And then also help families to see um, how they can monitor attendance, how can, they can develop better uh, routines at home, because that is key. Um, but families have to be engaged and connected um, so that they understand why it matters so much to overcome sometimes huge challenges. And then we also need to use schools as a place where families trust and can talk to them about um, what is, let's say, you know, I've often seen where it's huge health issues on the part of parents. 
The reasons why young kids miss school, a lot of it has to do with health, either about the parent or the young kid, the child, whether that's the parent is having um, health issues and so they can't take the child to school or the child has asthma. And so when you want the school to be able to know about those issues so they can assure the family, they can support the family through those health issues. The one other thing I would just say is there is real evidence that chronic absence is related to trauma. The higher the number of ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, you have three or more ACEs, you're more less likely to show up to school. If you have one AC that's about neighborhood violence, and you see a lot of violence, particularly in high poverty communities, kids are less likely to come to school. So the key, you know, is not saying what's wrong with you, but what happened and how can I help? And when schools can adopt those practices, they can get kids to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're gonna um, we're gonna talk a little bit um, just here in a little bit. We're, we're gonna talk about how how principals, of course, play an important role in this. Um, but when I heard you when I heard you speaking there, it just really made me think that this issue, uh, which is like a lot of issues in education, is um, it's multidimensional. <laughs> uh, there's often not a, a, a panacea. Uh, to to kind of fix it or to to address it, um, it's 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 multi layered, multi dimensional, and and sort of a, a a lot of issues at play. Um, even thinking about when you were talking about just the sort of parent family engagement, um, sort of the school the school the importance of school culture um, and environment, mm-hmm. and and sort of how that makes families feel, and 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 how that makes students feel. Um, what do you, what's just a just as a follow up just to what you kind of were talking about there? What's what's kind of there there. I know there's not a, a single reason um, why a student um, is, is, is missing more days, but is it, is it, is it the case that there's, there can be multiple reasons and, and it's uh, certainly on a case by case basis and things like potentially sort of like the bullying potentially happening at school and, 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 and that makes a student mm-hmm. less likely to want to so, attend. Yeah, we actually think about um, lumping the reasons of absences in four big categories, which helps you to sort of sort through this <laughs> fairly complex um, set of issues. One um, are these barriers, uh, barriers of transportation, health, unstable housing, those kinds of things. And those tend to be located a bit more outside the school, but in communities, but they create real challenges for families and they tend to um, especially affect families living in poverty. The second um, bucket is negative school experiences. Um, Let's say um, there is bullying. Let's say there's really messed up suspension practices. I mean, I have to say the fact that we have a huge issue of suspension uh, in many places in kindergarten is extremely troubling to me. Um, It seems to me that we that really requires the school taking a second look at what kind of disciplinary practice um, and approaches it has um, and, uh, you know, what kind of uh, uh, strategies it has in place to really help kids learn the kind of behaviors that they need to learn. Anyway, the other issue, too, in that negative school experience can also be parents have negative school experiences. Mm. So, um, let's say, take it, for example, the group that consistently has the highest level of chronic absence are Native American kids. But if you think about what's the history for Native American people in this country and how mainstream education was used to rip children away from their culture, their families, their tribes, I mean, it would make sense that there's huge distrust of schools. 
And it's not to say, by the way, that you can't overcome this. If, and there are places that um, in Oregon, they have this amazing tribal attendance pilot project that um, explicitly is, for example, as part of its work, creating engaging, welcoming more environments, using even native languages to show and demonstrate that they're not about ripping the culture and language of the child away from the school. But um, that tribal attendance project has actually improved chronic absence um, among uh, 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 Native American kids in Oregon, despite the fact that the Oregon um, data on chronic absence is actually a little bit worse. It's actually a little bit better for Native American kids because they've had this very explicit effort understanding the negative experiences that Native kids had uh, have had. Anyway. So this negative experience is the second bucket. The third bucket, I would say, is lack of an engaging school environment. You know, is do people see the relevance of school to their future? Um, uh, and this uh, that can affect, you know, um, young kids. It particularly affects middle and high school kids. Um, if they see more of their peers outside of school, they may not show up to school. If school doesn't seem like it's, that's why actually those career pathways become really important because it's really engaging and helping them see its connection to their future. And then I would say the last bucket is misconceptions. Um, and this is, um, you know, where people just think, oh, is, it, it only matters if it's unexcused. It doesn't matter if it's an excused absence. Or they don't recognize it's just two days a month can throw you off track. Or um, families don't recognize, again, the incredible value of early child's experiences for setting up a child for success. Yeah, well, no, that's that's actually really helpful to think about it in in terms of those buckets, um, and um, and 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 just helping think about um, certainly um, pol you know policies and 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 strategies to 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 address it. Speaking of which, um, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, just give us a sense of kind of the the landscape of um, school school attendance policies out there, uh, best practices. Um, strategies, things that you that um, or uh, uh, laws potentially, federal, state, district. Um, what are some of those? What what works? So um, we think about uh, five key ingredients of systemic change. Um, you need to have shared accountability, which increasingly are having from ESSA, but I think the issue is to make sure it's shared. You know, that school attendance issues should be seen as important for communities, not just schools. Um, but shared accountability, actionable data. You need to have data that is easily available, accurate, consistently taken. Um, and it's something that you can see um, uh, immediately as soon as kids become chronically absent. So shared accountability, actionable data. Then you need to have capacity building so that people can take that actionable data and engage in the fourth ingredient, which is positive engagement. So that when you have chronic absence, you're using it to positively engage kids and families, um, helping them understand the value of the school experience, the importance of showing up every day, but also positively engaging them so that you can unpack and address what are the barriers are they're facing to school. And then the last of the fifth of those um, key ingredients is actually community partnerships or strategic community partnerships because there are times when you have really high levels of chronic absence that you need community partners to help you to do this work. Um, whether that's because it's such a high level and you um, 
you need community partners to help um, create the, the what I would we really advocate for what your building capacity for is a tiered approach to attendance. It's kind of a public health model where you're engaging in prevention and engagement first, and then you have personalized supports to um, a tier two set of kids. And then uh, the third um, is for the kids who are really severely chronically absent, and that might require coordination with child welfare, with the courts. Um, and um, you need community partners because maybe, for example, to do that, tiered to personalized engagement, you want to enlist mentors. There's a whole model of success mentors that really works and that they can reach out to kids. And uh, you, I was just in Kansas City yesterday and Kansas City Public Schools is launching district-wide this incredible um, effort at mentoring. And in one of the schools that they um, had launched this, they, they're now in, I think, year um, three with the school, but the first year, it only had 47% of its kids um, attending 90% of the time. So essentially 53% of the kids were chronically absent. Uh -huh. They implemented a success mentor program where these mentors met with kids three times um, uh, a week, you know, welcoming them to school, calling them when they were absent. They improved their chronic, uh, their attendance from, uh, by the end of the year, they had 84% of their kids showing up at least 90% of the time. They, they reduced their chronic absence levels from 53 to 14% in a single year. Wow. Um, and that's because they had put in these personalized mentors, but part of what those personalized mentors identified, for example, these success mentors, was when they were talking with the kids, they realized that none of their kids didn't have clean clothes. Um, and when you think about like what's happening in elementary level, kids are... Um, they're in their, their, their gym, you know, recess is in your, in your clothes, in your uniforms. And if you've been uh, sweating a lot, you know, it mm -hmm. may not be a pleasant sight. Then, so <laughs> then they, uh, the local United Way um, helped the school to purchase a, a washer and dryer. Wow. And they started helping with their kids. So because though, if you think about it, you need that personalized level of um, engagement so that, because kids might not admit to you, I don't have clean clothes. Until they know you, they're not going to tell you what the issue is. And unless you can think about this in a systemic level to kind of understand what are um, the barriers, you might think you're going to handle this case by case. What we do technically in this country is we do everything case by case and case management. But it's actually a systemic, a programmatic solution. So I would just say one other thing that's really important. We have seen, so uh, Connecticut is a, as a state that, as a state, has a really uh, significantly reduced chronic absence over the course of a number of years. It's getting harder, um, but they made some, um, they kind of reduced by about 10,000 kids, um, the numbers of kids who are chronically absent um, in, in Connecticut. And in Connecticut, uh, a key thing they had done several years ago was pass legislation that not only required a comprehensive prevention-oriented approach, um, required really creating and looking at data. So they had, you know, these elements of the key ingredients of change that I mentioned, but they also required that if you were a school with more than 15% levels of chronic absence, you had an attendance team that would monitor your data and put in place better practice. 
And then um, if you were a district with more than 10%, you would create a district team that would organize a district strategy. Huh. You need to have a team in place that monitors your data, that thinks about what is your comprehensive approach to improving attendance, um, and enlist people in engaging in that comprehensive support. Because if you want to do great universal practices that are engaging, for example, you're going to have to make sure all your principals, all your teachers involved, everyone in school staff is part of that. They also have to look at what are the common causes of chronic absence so that if we have a, a common cause like the lack of a safe path to school or um, problematic um, Maybe we don't even have an asthma-free school. Maybe we're triggering asthma, you know, uh, asthma attacks for kids. You know, if you, you, you may need to see that there's a comprehensive, a, a more programmatic strategy. Um, the last thing, at least at the school level, you need to do is you need to have folks who will then make sure that kids who are what we call moderately, that's missing 10 to 19% of school, or severely chronically absent, that's missing 20% or more, are uh, triage and getting access to the supports they need. So you need this monitoring of data, uh, looking at causes, uh, developing your school-wide approach and triage for kids happening. Um, and when you have that in place on the ground level at schools, supported by a district that can provide actionable data, that can um, provide capacity building so every school knows how to do this, that can enlist community partnerships in those schools where there's high levels of chronic absence, that can create resources for positive engagement, let's say through a district-wide community messaging campaign around how showing up to school uh, is important um, and um, creating supports uh, for kids to come to school, then we can really see reductions in chronic absence. Interesting. Yeah. Well, in the, the, the Kansas city example and the Connecticut example, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, um, I think illuminates, um, what often works well, um, in sort of thinking about, um, education policy sort of writ large, which is, you know, the, the, um, you have a challenge, whatever it is, in this case, it's, it's chronic absence. And, and sometimes, um, often I would say actually in sort of district and state policy, there's this instinct to just sort of um, think, you know, well, here's here's something that could work to help to help uh, fix that, some policy lever, right? Where actually, what 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 you really need to do is do that sort of root cause analysis and what's actually what's actually driving this challenge, and sort of you know look at the data and see what's out there in terms of other best practices, and then and then really that sort of that that idea of that kind of coalition building and, and bringing in all the folks who sort of need, need to be around the table to help, um, you know, get on, get in, you know, all moving in sort of the right direction to, to potentially solve that challenge. Um, easier said than done, but, but I, but I, but I hear when you talking about those, those examples, I, I certainly see how that's an effective strategy. Absolutely. And every community has different assets to draw upon. You know, and yeah. so part of it is an assessment of what are the actual barriers, but right. some of the assessment is who are the assets who can help address this? Maybe you have a local health provider who can help with immunizations, help, help with asthma, help, you know, um, yep. that it, we're a pretty diverse country. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what works um, ranges and, you know, chronic absence is a problem in both or urban, suburban, and rural areas. 
But what's going to help in a rural area is not exactly what the same thing, you know, even if transportation, for example, is an issue in both places, um, it doesn't mean the transportation solution is the same in both places. Sure, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and, and, and sort of what you, you said about earlier on how, how it's a, this is a, there's a, it's a multidimensional challenge, meaning there's a lot of different factors going on, but what that also enables is the opportunity to sort of bring in more folks, right? Sort of different and disparate um, organizations and sort of entities who, who, you know, who can, who can help you in that challenge. What, what's really incredibly um, wonderful about this metric is first of all, we take attendance data every single day. So you can easily engage in this, uh, you know, practice of continuous improvement. I try a strategy. Did Danny come the next day or did Danny not? You know, if Danny continues not to come after three or four tries, maybe this isn't quite the right strategy to reach Danny, right? So you get immediate feedback. Sure. You can also look at patterns. But the other thing is it's so concrete. People get kids need to show up in class so they can benefit from instruction. And they also, um, when you take a moment to unpack why you really move across partisan lines this is so not a part of an issue mm-hmm. it's about what do we want to do to help our kids and can we talk with kids and families to unpack what's in the way and can we build those relationships so we can have real conversations about what are the barriers and what is what works you know one of the best not that every place can implement that but one there are two really great examples of what um, improves, reduces chronic absence. And one is a parent-teacher home visiting project. Um, and what they do is they support teachers to go out and do home visits at schools. It's a relational home visit. So the first one happens ideally before kids come to school, um, where a parent goes out to the home, meets a parent. Um, I mean, the teacher goes out to the home, usually with another accompanied two people from the school go out together. That's a safety um, precaution. Um, they go meet with the family. They find out what are their hopes and dreams for their kids, find out what the family um, feels, you know, it makes their school be a valuable experience. And then they talk about what they can both do to help. Some, a lot of times attendance comes up. It's not you know, something they necessarily bring up, then they will throughout the year find ways to text the parents about, you know, this is what your kid's learning. And then they build a relationship so they can talk to them. And then they can do a follow-up home visit if, for example, there's a, a, an issue of attendance going on. That practice has really been found to significantly reduce chronic absence. And it reduces it much more when ideally that parent-teacher home visit is happening for the entire um, school. Um, so that everyone's engaging in it. And, you know, sometimes one of the things I think that's so hard is that, um, especially in uh, schools with high levels of poverty, um, the teachers in those schools don't come from the same community anymore, right? Even if they look like the kids, they don't necessarily come from the same community, but often they don't even look like the kids. I don't think you have to be of the same background as a kid to understand them, but you do have to invest in getting to know what their life is like. If you never are in that community, you don't know the barriers and challenges, and you may come with a lot of assumptions. And what a program like Parent-Teacher Home Visiting does is allow you to break through those assumptions, build real relationships, so you can talk about what really can we do to get kids coming to school. Uh And that, um, and there's another group, this is maybe a little bit for older kids and families called Peer Group Connections, which 
is about kids being peers with each other and helping them navigate the school system and creating ongoing supports where you train juniors and seniors to meet with um, freshmen and navigate them through um, their whole, and they meet every twice a week, um, talking not just about attendance, but all how do you succeed in high school. Those kinds of basic practices that build relationships, help kids and families navigate systems, are known proven reduction, proven practices reducing chronic absence. So on the other hand, you need to, you know, we, we do want to tailor it to everything. On the other thing, on the other hand, it is really helpful to look at where are some of the models that are emerging that have worked across lots of different systems and what is it that makes them work. And I think what makes them work is that you've invested in relationships, relationship building and using data to constantly see whether or not you're succeeding. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, no, that's, um, that's, that's, that's really fascinating. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a, again a little bit. Um, we do, NESP, we do um, our advocacy, a lot of focus on federal policy, what's happening on Capitol Hill, Department of Education. Um, so let's talk ESSA a little bit. Um, a couple questions on that. Um, I guess, um, what, how do you kind of talk about ESSA as it relates to, to chronic absence? Uh, first question, and the second question is, how are states um, using chronic absence as a, as a metric to address school quality? So under ESSA, all states are affected because they are supposed to include chronic absence in their school report cards uh, by the end of this December, December 2018. So in that sense, if you think about being on a metric being on a report card is public accountability, everyone's accountable for chronic absence. Um, but then, as I mentioned earlier, 36 states plus Washington, D.C. have also adopted some form of chronic absence metric as part of school accountability. Most of this is in that additional measure of student um, school success. Uh, in California, they chose to include it as an academic metric, K through eight. But um, so as you're looking at the bottom 5% of schools, uh, there are the chronic absence is going to be used as an indicator to identify which schools need more support and help. Mm. Uh, and that's um, uh, the one thing I would say that is a little bit of an issue emerging with ESSA is that I think attendance data has historically not been closely looked at. So we're still struggling to get, so it's not just did you define it as missing 10% of days, but there may be the question of what's a day of attendance? Mm -hmm. Is it, did you, do I need to know that you show, am I counting it by hours? Am I counting it by, um, uh, uh, if you just show up half a day? Um, it affects elementary schools a little bit less than middle and high school, but there are some interesting conversations going on about what, constitutes a day of attendance and how do we make sure that this is um, counted in a similar enough way across districts so you can compare um, uh, you know what happens in one school with another the other issue can be that some there is a little bit of um, people learning what counts as an absence so do you include suspensions do you include unexcused absences I personally believe all absences should be included. And I think there, it's a mistake to take out any kinds of absences because the goal of this is not punitive action, 
but your goal is to make sure you are noticing kids as soon as they're starting to miss too much school. Um, and you don't, maybe you see a kid and you realize that you don't have to take action, but it's always better to know, take a look, and then decide I don't have to really take action because the kid's doing okay. Um, but there's places, like I know I was recently in the state of Oklahoma, and they had just, that historically they had not counted suspensions um, as part, as an absence, and now they're shifting as a state to including it. Mm-hmm. They bought that argument, which is great, but you know, there's policy and there's what happens in schools. It takes a little while for everyone to learn the new system. Sure. Sure. And so um, getting accurate baseline data is going to take a little while. Mm -hmm. Change happens over time. Right, right. Well, and so you you mentioned the kind of high number of states who are using it. So just to, can you just point out for folks in terms of what states or sort of what already happens in terms of having to report data to um, OCR, to the, the Office, of, Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education? So right, right now, districts have been reporting to the Office for Civil Rights. That's up at the federal level, and that's just for data collection. And um, the 17,000 in the districts in the country had been reporting on the numbers of kids in each district and within their district, which schools had missed 15 or more days. So that was a reporting that had been happening in 13, 14, 15, 16. And actually, if you look on our website um, at something called Data Matters. Um, We worked with the Hamilton Project to be able to produce um, an incredible map of, or the Hamilton Project really did this. We just co-released it with our data, our report, um, where you can look at any state, any district, and then within any district, any school to see what the levels of chronic absence were that were reported based on that 15-day metric for OCR. Hmm. That actually is separate from the collection of data for ESSA. Right. Under ESSA, that is happening at the state level. And how often it's, usually there's going to be a, 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 um, states are looking in the fall at which schools uh, didn't meet, um, seem to have troubles, challenges, you know, based on what the data reporting was for um, the prior school year. So mm-hmm. right now, many, m- most states have already started to look at um, what's the data from the 17-18 um, school year um, and where they are varies by state. You know, okay. some states have already alerted districts and schools, mm-hmm. you're in trouble um, based on chronic absence. And in others, it's going to be happening into sort of January, February. So um, that really varies a lot by state. Um, uh, and then there are a few states like California and Connecticut, which require look at chronic absence as part of their own state accountability. So um, I think uh, Connecticut, again, had that law that also put in place the school uh, attend district attendance teams in California. Uh, there's something called the local control accountability um, uh, formula, local LCFS, um, local control funding formula, and each district has to produce a local control accountability plan, which has to look at attendance as part of that. And that was submitted actually in the spring of, of uh, the end of the school year. So it really um, varies by state a little bit on how the accountability works. Got it. Yeah, no, that's an important, um, important clarification, though, in point, because I, I, I think, I mean, I, I've gotten that question even before in terms of, well, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't districts are 
don't districts already report this? And it's important to note that sort of in state plans and SSA plans that, you know, having this in there, this, this means this is a, a big focus now for a lot of states in terms of you yeah. know, sort, of, sort of collecting that data. And then obviously what, you know, more importantly is what actually you do with it in terms of um, trying to, trying to improve. And most districts probably were collecting it in the summer. Mm -hmm. And the question is how fast is the data being processed and then being sent back out to let schools know that under ESSA they uh, are challenged and need additional support. Sure. Yeah, that just shines a light on it for sure. Uh, great. Well, let's. Um, this has been really, really informative and really, really great to speak with you. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Hetty. Um, let's uh, close out though with. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about um, some of the sort of the role of the principal and and sort of what schools can do sort of at, at, you know at the school level to address chronic absent absence. But um, just talk a little bit. Why don't you end on that? Just kind of what? How do you see the role of principals? In, in addressing chronic absence, and then what maybe what are some tools and resources that, that you're aware of that uh, you know could be helpful for folks? Absolutely. So first of all, I want to say that principals are absolutely, in my view, the most essential agent of change in this. As a principal, they help to ensure that a school recognizes that chronic absence is an essential part of their school improvement strategy. Whether, you know, the role of principals is transforming. They're not just instructional leadership leaders. They're actually having to really look at not how do we create all the conditions for learning that are going to make it possible for kids to succeed, especially the kids who are most vulnerable. And I've never seen chronic absence turn around without a principal playing a major leadership role, without making sure that everyone in their school recognizes that they have a role in improving attendance and that this is a school-wide approach and making sure that there's an attendance team that's monitoring their data and really working with the principal. And who should play, be that attendance team is actually a matter of the principal to figure out. Um, a couple of uh, really, I think, re excellent resources that principals might consider using from our website. One is we have something called leading attendance, um, and it's really talking about the role of principals um, in helping their school adopt a school-wide approach to improving attendance and the other is called the teaching attendance curriculum and it's online modules we have them three modules one is talking about why uh, attendance um, matters the second one is how you can really engage in that peer one prevention and early intervention and creating a culture of engagement and attendance the third is um, using data for intervention um, uh, and uh, an early intervention. Um, so you can go onto our uh, website, look at um, the teaching attendance curriculum. These are all under resources. The principal one is under the toolkits. The um, teaching attendance has its own spot on our website. And for teaching attendance, these are 40 minutes. Um, we've found that principals can sometimes do them in 30 minutes if you want to be really quick about it. Um, <laughs> but they're online modules that once you register, it has a whole set of interactive videos, questions, reflections. Principals can ask their attendance team, their entire staff. They can take them and they can just see what the concepts are on there. Principals can even take staff through facilitating a conversation, their entire staff. You know, they can um, project it and uh, go through the module, taking their entire staff through it so that, you know, you can level set where everyone in your school um, is around understanding what their role is around improving attendance and really taking that 
comprehensive prevention-oriented approach that starts with engagement um, and prevention and then can really, if we can shore that prevention and early intervention, um, uh, strengthen it up so that you can, um, so that's gonna try this last part um, again. <laughs> Sorry about that, Danny. No worries. But if principals can go on to that teaching attendance module, they can use it with their staff. They can actually project it and have everyone um, take it together and they can help everyone see the critical they, role that they play in prevention and early intervention. Because if we can strengthen tier one and tier two, you can decrease the number of kids who are severely chronically absent. And actually in an era of active, this is really essential. Kids who are missing 20% or more of school, like missing 60 days of school, you can, through a lot of case management support, I've seen this, reduce their days significantly. Let's you can get a kid who was missing 60 days to missing half that amount, just 30 days. But those kids will still be chronically absent. So we're going to have to look at those tier three kids and make sure that we are reducing their chronic absence. But where you're going to make a difference within the course of a single academic school year is going to be making sure that you prevent kids who are on the border of chronic absence from becoming chronically absent and making sure that you can take kids who are moderately chronically absent and help improve them enough so they're no longer chronically absent. And the challenge that we've often had is who we notice the kids with the severe challenges because they're crying out. They are in such need. And we do want to support those kids. But I don't think you necessarily are going to move all of those kids out of chronic absence. What we don't take the opportunity to do is to see those kids who are more on the cusp and make sure we get them to school and prevent them from becoming severely chronically absent. And in fact, that's going to help principals more when they're under the gun around accountability. Perfect. Perfect. No, that's, thank you for, for that. Uh, those sound um, uh, like some great resources and, and I'll be sure to um, push those out uh, to folks um, as we, um, uh, when we publish this episode of the podcast, I'll, I'll be sure to include those. Um, but that sounds like a, a really, really great and, and, and potentially something that uh, potentially like a, a staff meeting or um, a professional development around um, um, uh, absence and, and, and some sort of um, school-wide team approaches. Um, sounds like some really, really great resources. So, so really appreciate you uh, sharing that and uh, really, really appreciate you uh, joining us on, on this episode. Uh, Hedy, uh, you uh, provided um, such, such great um, in, uh, important information about this really, really uh, important issue. And um, I appreciate your 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 knowledge and and sort of filling us in and, and and your passion for this really important work. Thank you so much, Danny. It is a pleasure. Talk soon. Thanks so much. Bye.